Hey friends, welcome back to this episode of the Live Revised Podcast. In this particular episode, we are sharing a really cool bonus session that was part of our Women's Annual Summit that we held back in August. Of course, due to COVID, it was held virtually, which meant that we recorded some extra sessions to give to our ticket holders. And this particular bonus session is one that I recorded to help the ladies especially kind of give their faith a new rejuvenation, to revive it, to breathe new life in it, especially because this year has been so challenging. So in this specific episode, we are going to dive into one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Maybe something that you remember learning about in nursery school or as a little kid, um, and, and maybe you haven't looked at it since, but it is the story of when Jesus had to feed more than 5,000 people and he didn't have anything but a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish. Uh, and so we're going to dive into this story and learn how the example we see him set for us here is an example for us on how we can revitalize and revive our faith. Hello and welcome to this bonus session of the Revive Women's Summit, where we're going to be talking about reviving your faith. Now, if you've watched all the other segments from the summit, you know that this theme of revival has really taken precedence. We've really spent a lot of time in talking about this idea of reviving, bringing life back in, breathing fresh air in to maybe something that feels stagnant or tired or spent or drained. And in this year of 2020, and although we face and everything that we've been up against, it makes perfect sense that we would be feeling this way right now. So we're going to take this time to talk about this for our faith. And while there is a whole lot of practice that you can do to help bring life into your faith, prayer, scripture reading, Bible study with other believers, attending church, being just in the company of other believers, you know, that's basic stuff we can do. I'm going to take us into the scripture specifically, and I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite stories in the Bible, actually in the New Testament. And if you want to follow along, we're going to be looking at Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapter 14, starting in verse 13. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, let me just tell you that it's divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament tells about the Israelites or the Jewish people and their ancestors prior to the time that Christ was born and walked on the earth. The New Testament focuses on the time Christ was on the earth after his death and all of the people behind him that furthered his message and brought people to know him after he had already died, resurrected, and then went to heaven. So we're kind of in the smack dab in the middle of Jesus's time on earth when we look at this chapter of Matthew. So Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and it's the chapter 14 and the verse 13. What we are going to look at is a particular situation where Jesus is faced with a dilemma, and he has a mass of people sitting around him listening to him talk and no way to feed them because it had gotten late in the day and they're hungry. And there's this pressure for him to figure out what to do, or at least that's what his disciples want him to think, his followers, his right-hand people. They want him to think that there's a need, a pressing need to get them something to eat. So if we turn to that chapter, the first part of that chapter 14, the first 12 verses, 
is talking about a guy by the name of John the Baptist and he is beheaded. Now, if you don't know who John the Baptist is, let me just tell you, he is the cousin to Jesus. So they're about the same age. Um, they would have known each other. They would have been close to each other. And he is a radical when it comes to pro uh, projecting and telling and prophesying of Jesus and who he is and that he is the Messiah and he is the son of God. Well, there's a lot of people in a roundabout that area that don't really like that message very much. And so they uh, capture him and they imprison him, John the Baptist, and then they behead him. And so the first part of this chapter of chapter 14, we see that Jesus has gotten word that John the Baptist has been beheaded. And there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that story. But just know that Jesus is in a heart of grief and of mourning when we start chapter 14, verse 13. So in verse 13, it says, when Jesus had heard this had happened, well, what did he just hear happen? He had just heard that John the Baptist was killed. So he's, he's emotional. And I love that part because I love the fact that all of the emotions that we're feeling, Jesus felt them too. Like this loss, this grief this morning, we know that we've experienced that in our lives and we know and can see that Jesus felt that too. And it says that he withdrew by, by boat privately to a solitary place he wanted to be alone, alone with his thoughts, probably alone with his emotions. He wanted to express them freely. And so he kind of withdrew from the crowd or withdrew from people and wanted to be by himself. And I think that is exactly what we would want to do. We would want to have quiet time and we would want to have time to sit with our feelings and cry it out or maybe even yell and screaming out. And when we're looking at our faith, and we may feel like that, that feels a little flatlined, or it's a little challenging right now, um, because maybe you haven't gotten to do all the things you would do in your normal faith practice, go to church, go to conferences, be in Bible study, whatever that might be. Or if you're just like, mm, I don't really know how I feel about all this faith thing, just so you know, the feeling of that, of loss, of missing something, that's what Jesus is feeling right here in the very first sentence of this passage that we're looking at. So he wanted to be in a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. So the so Jesus goes off, and then the people that wanted to be around him, wanted to hear him speak, wanted to kind of absorb his wisdom and his uh, conversation, they get word, like they find out where he's at, and they travel there. They like hunt him down to be near him. It's kind of like if you've ever heard of those crazy super fans that stalk out hotels or stalk out, you know, different locations, hoping to see their favorite movie star or rock star, and they'll just flock and travel wherever uh, to be in the same area as they are. Well, that's kind of what was happening here. And so when Jesus landed, so he's going across the boat and the people go on land kind of around to the other side travel around. He's gone boat. So when he gets to the other side, he thinks he's going to step off into a quiet place and a solitary place. But no, he sees the large crowds and he had compassion on them. So he goes from feeling really a lot of grief and he's mourning. Um, he's mourning the loss of a family member, a close friend, a brother. But then he sees all these people and he also has the emotion of I love them too. I have compassion for them too. I want to heal them and talk to them and give them, you know, what they want. And that's what he does. He has compassion on them and he heals the sick. 
So here they are. They've, these people have traveled all the way through the town, um, all the way to the other side of this body of water, and they've met Jesus there. This has been a pretty big day. Like, it's been a big ordeal. This wouldn't have been just a, you know, a walk around the block. So, and they would have walked. So they would have been tired. There's lots of them. Uh, so the crowd, you know, can be very exhausting. Uh, it's arid and windy or dry and um, hot and humid where they're at probably. And it's just, you know, this is not always like a vacation where they're sitting at or trying to be near Jesus in. And so the evening starts to creep in on them. So this has been a long day, the whole day they've been at it. And the disciples who are Jesus's right-hand people comes to Jesus and they say, this is kind of a remote place. Like we're kind of in the middle of nowhere and it's already starting to get late. Send the crowds away, tell them to go home so that they can go to their villages and buy themselves some food. The disciples see that there's a problem and they can kind of look ahead a little bit and be like, oh, we're about to be in really big water here because these guys are here, they're tired, they've trekked all the way around to follow us and now it's starting to get dark and um, they're not gonna have anything to eat and they're gonna get cranky. Uh, this is probably the first group of people that would have ever been hangry, <laughs> right? Hungry and angry because of it. And so they're looking at it going, we need to like get them home. They need to go away. And I love this because the disciples are telling Jesus um, that this is a remote place. He knows it's a remote place because he picked it for that reason. So that's no surprise to him. And it's already getting late. He knows that too, because his dad made the sun in the sky that's about to set and the moon that's about to rise. Send the crowds away so that they can go to their villages and buy themselves some food. So the disciples wanted to put the responsibility back on the people to go figure out their provision. And if you know anything about the um, New Testament and you've studied any part of Jesus's life, you may be familiar with this little passage that says, don't worry about tomorrow because what can you do? What can you add to yourself by today worrying about tomorrow? Don't you know that God knows all the hairs on your head, knows all the animals, knows all the birds, and he makes sure that they have everything they need. Why wouldn't he do the same for you? And that's my paraphrasing of that, but that is, that's the idea. And so Jesus is the one that has said that, and we should all have believed that. Also the disciples too. So he's probably thinking, um, with a snap of my fingers, we could have everything we need here and these people would be provided for. But by all means, let's make sure they take care of themselves, uh, which is kind of funny because the, I think for a moment, we see the disciples recognize um, the situation that they're in. They're real good at seeing the problem, but they lose sight of who they're traveling with. They lose sight of Jesus. And that's our first lesson when it comes to renewing our faith. We may be facing a lot of problems, whether it's the global pandemic, financial ramifications that come because of the pandemic. Maybe it's something personal. Maybe you have a health crisis or there's relationship issues in your life that you need to address or there's um, you know, worries about a job or whatever it may be. We're really good at spotting problems and sp spotting the barriers and the obstacles. But sometimes we forget who we're traveling with and for those of us who are believers, we should know Jesus already knows the problem. God already knows what's standing in front of us. He already knows how this pandemic thing's going to play out. He knew it was coming before we did. And nothing we say is a surprise to him. 
we aren't alerting him. Um, God, do you know what's in my checking account versus what my bills are going to be? He already knows. You know, he doesn't need to be alerted. He already knows. And in this situation, the disciples are trying to make Jesus aware of something that he is fully aware of. He knows exactly what time of day it is, where they're at, and what the needs are. And Jesus says to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. So he kind of spins the tables and he's like, um, we don't need them to leave. They came here to hear and learn. So let's not dismiss them. And remember, it said that he had compassion on them. So Jesus is a-okay with them being there. So he says, uh, don't send them away. Don't make them go away. You go find them something to eat. Okay. Again, remote area. Disciples really weren't all that well to do, like just had tons of cash. But he says, you go find something to eat. And they say, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, it was estimated that there was about 5,000 people there. Now, this would have probably been more 5,000 men. Uh, this wouldn't have probably included any women or children in that number. So at least 5,000 people are there, probably more. So five loaves and two fishes wouldn't even make a dent in that. It would have been the meal for probably one person, maybe two. Um, there is um, the same story, I believe, in Mark, and it references there that this was a lunch, like it was a packed lunch that would have been given. This wasn't even the disciples' food. They just had heard that someone in the crowd had a lunch, and they, they were like, hey, wait, this is what we got. And so they recognize the problem. They also recognize their limited resources. But once again, they've failed to recognize who they're traveling with. Jesus says, bring that to me. Bring the two loaves or the five loaves and two fishes. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. So rest. Don't run around with your head cut off trying to figure it out, trying to come up with a solution. Have a seat in the grass. Oh, what a beautiful picture. And what we're facing right now in life and whatever you may be facing in the four walls of your home or in the walls of your heart, Jesus knows. He knows who you are. He knows what you're facing. He's not scared or worried about your limited resources. He's not worried by the obstacles and the barriers that are going around. He already knows all of that. And he's looking at us and he's saying, you want to revive your faith? Then just take a seat in the grass. And I can do this. I got it. Have the people sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. This sentence, which is in verse uh, 19, is power packed. So let's break this down. Taking the five loaves and two fishes. So Jesus took what he had, what was given to him. He didn't come up with anything more. He took the limited resources, the limited amount of food that was presented to him from the disciples. So he takes what he's got. He then looks up to heaven. He recognizes who's really in control, who's really watching and seeing and capable of providing, which is our Heavenly Father. He gave thanks for the little bit that he had to work with. And then he broke the loaves. For us, when we look at reviving our faith, 
we can see the problems, we can understand the limitations, but we forget who we're traveling with. When we recognize that we do have Jesus in our lives and in our hearts, who knows us and watches over us, and we have a heavenly father who sits on the throne, that sits in heaven and knows all the things that we're feeling and fearing and struggling with, then what we need to do is we need to turn over to him our limited resources. Hey, I know this isn't quite enough to do the job, but I'm giving you what I got. That's all he wants from us. He doesn't want us to hold the five loaves and two fishes and say, this isn't enough, but just give me a minute to figure it out and I'll figure out how this will work. Or let me hurry up and find a bunch of money to add to this to make it work. Or let me like borrow from other people and have other people be part of the solution. That, that's usually not the case. He just wants us to bring what we have and then he will use it. Because then it says that we look up to heaven. See, we look to the answer and the solution for our failing relationships, our struggling uh, financial issues, the pandemic, issues with our kids, worry about our health, things in our own hearts, the fears in our own minds. We just have to look to heaven. We don't have to look around for the answer. We don't have to look to see if someone else is coming to ride in on a white horse and save the day. We just have to look up to heaven because that's where our Heavenly Father is and give thanks for what we have, for what he's going to bring to us, for how he's going to see us through the situation. We give thanks first before it's happened. Notice Jesus gave thanks before the miracle occurred. And then the last thing he did was he broke the loaves. Y'all, this is the part of the sentence that's really hard. What's going to happen in the story beyond the sentence is that through miraculous divine work, the five loaves and two fishes are multiplied, multiplied so greatly that it feeds the 5,000 and then some. But here's the thing. The loaves had to be broken first before the multiplication. You might be sitting where, you are, where you're at, looking at your finances, worried about a job, looking at a business, looking at your own efforts, your passions, your purpose, the thing that you may want to do most in life. And you're wondering, how is this going to multiply? How is this going to serve? How is this going to be enough or be big enough to do the thing that I like would love to have happen or be in a position I would love to be in? But sometimes we don't recognize that the broken part happens first. And there's a part of us that has to kind of be broken off. Maybe that's our pride. Maybe that's our fear. Maybe it's a submission to letting God really be in control. Maybe it is control we have to kind of put a stop to. Maybe we have to be okay with not knowing all the things or not having all the certainty in the world. That's trust. That's faith. And sometimes parts of us have to break down in order for us to really get to the root of that and say, I've given you all that I have. I've given you my limited resources. I'm looking up at you like, here you go. Hope this works. I'm trusting you to make it work. I'm going to already thank you right now for what I know you're going to do with what I gave you. And I'm going to be willing to be used, to be broken, to be rebuilt, to be reshaped, to be reformed, however you see fit in order for the multiplication to happen for the greater miracle to show up. It goes on to say, then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the people and all they all ate and were satisfied. So everyone got what they needed 
just two verses beforehand, the disciples are wringing their hands in worry, thinking these people are going to be hungry. We have no way to get them anything. But they had more than enough because God is a God of provision. And he met the need. And they were, they were fulfilled and satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So there was even then some. See, our God is not a God of lacking or shortage. He is a God of abundance. And when our faith starts to feel flat, when we feel like maybe we're not seeing things come about the way we want, or we may be feeling frustrated or tired or depleted, y'all, if we learn how to take what we have, look to heaven, give thanks, be broken if we need to be, be shaped, be grown, then... Then the next sentence is, and there was a sum left over. Y'all, we will always have more than enough, but we have to follow that formula. We can't be the ones to fix all the pieces and come up with all the solutions. That has to be someone else's job, like God, who knows more about it than we do. And the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Y'all, this was a really big miracle. But the thing is, is the miracle doesn't stop just because that's the end of the story. Because Jesus goes on, if you flip the pages, and he does other miracles, other healings, other in, um, interference, if you will, in people's lives and in their hearts. And the story doesn't have to stop here because the same revival, the same life-giving food, spiritual food, that Jesus gave to those people he gives to us. We just have to be willing to accept it and to know that it isn't ours to figure out or fulfill. He doesn't hand us empty baskets and say, you're going to figure out how to top this off. You're going to figure out how to get what you need in here. He knows what we need in our hearts and our souls and our minds. And he does the work if we let him. It's all about looking up to heaven with what we got. Here it is. I'm showing up. And I'm going to let you break me, bless me, grow me, multiply me, and how you see fit. See, a lot of times we attach the level of our faith and the rich part of our faith has to be attached to outward circumstances. Like faith must be really great if we feel God. Faith must be really great if we see him working, if we can kind of put our hands on or wrap our arms around the thing he's doing. Faith must be working really well if I feel closer to him. See, but faith really isn't about feeling. It's really about knowing that even if I don't feel it, I know that someone else is standing there going to fill the basket. I just have to be willing to give what I got, look up to heaven, give thanks, and be broken. This story really rings true for me in two scenarios. I first reread the story. I mean, I've known the story. I grew up with the story growing up in church. This was one of those stories we talked about all the time. But I read the story when I was in prison. I was serving a two-year sentence. Um, and I remember reading the story and thinking that I was an empty basket. I had nothing to offer. Two loaves or five loaves and two fishes, I was lucky to have that to offer. I was in a place where there was no faith. Everything was depleted. You felt like your reputation, your life, you, who you are, your identity, your hopes, your dreams completely sucked out of you. But I remember reading the scripture and thinking, 
that doesn't have to be the end of the story. I am sitting here looking at my future saying, God, I don't know how this is going to play out. I have no idea what you have for me after this, but I'm giving you the little bit I have, which is just a willing heart at this point. That's all I've got. I don't have a home. I'm living out of a Rubbermaid tote. All of my possessions fit in there. So I don't have a lot to offer. I'm, you know, locked up in this facility. So I can't even get out to like be a mouthpiece for you or to spread a message. It doesn't even really matter how I live or act really because no one's seeing it. Uh, but I'll give you what I have, which is a willing heart. And I'm looking up to you saying, I don't know what you're going to do with this, but good luck because I really want to see you show up. And I was willing to give thanks to him and say, I already know you're working. You're working it out for my good. Somehow, I don't know how it's going to look yet, but somehow that's the faith part. And there was a lot of brokenness that happened. A lot of things that needed to be purified, removed, added back in, into my heart, into my mind, into my soul. And then when I walked out of that, I began to see how God multiplied my efforts, multiplied my voice gave me this platform to share his glory, his redemption, his love for people with other ones that needed to hear it. Now I sit here and I read the scripture and it's been about 10 years since I've come home from serving my time. A lot has changed. A lot has changed since then, but I still sit kind of on a threshold where I know this vision I have for what I feel like God has called me to do which is to speak and to share positive, encouraging, empowering messages with others who need to know that there is a plan for their life and to discover the passion to live it. That's, that's what I want to do. That's a God-given want of what I want to do. But not a lot of that is happening, especially because of the pandemic. I'm not packing coliseums or getting to be on cable networks and be seen as this like household name. But I'm looking at him saying, Here, here's what I can do. I can host the summit virtually. I can show up on Facebook and post a video. I can do a podcast. I can try to write and publish a book. I'm going to give you what I can. I'm going to look up to you and say, here's what I can offer you. Here's my version of five loaves and two fishes. And I'm going to thank you because even if this is all it ever is, it's kind of cool. And then I'm going to be broken I'm going to let you break up what needs to be broken up so that I stay humble, that I stay, stay grateful, and I stay willing to follow you through this. That is faith. That is faith. And the revival part of the faith means when I stand there unknowing of if I'm doing this and it goes to anyone, if it makes a difference, the faith part of that is I don't have to know the results because I'm just showing up and being obedient. But the revival part of that is when God puts just little pieces of confirmation that he's working. It's like seeing one of those baskets come back still with food in it. That is a confirmation that God's got this in control. He's going to see it through and he already knows what I need most. And he's already got it worked out. When we can sit down in the grass and be that confident and be that at home and at that relaxed, y'all, that is revival to our spirit. Now, let me be honest with you. That is not something that comes easy. And it definitely doesn't come easy for me. I have to remind myself of this sort of mini formula here in Matthew 14 all the time. Sometimes on a daily basis. Christy, your job isn't to do the multiplying. Your job was to offer the five loaves and two fishes. 
to look up to heaven, to give thanks, and to be broken. The multiplying part, the miraculous part of that story was not me. And it's not you. It's holy God. So quit trying to take over the job that's not yours and focus on the job that is yours and do that and do that well. And then when I do that and I talk myself back into where I'm supposed to be with what I'm supposed to do, that's when revival kind of starts to like bubble up a little bit when my heart and my soul, because I'm not trying to step into something that's not mine. And if the results fall flat, according to the world's standards, then who cares? Because the results are not my problem. They're not mine to worry about. My only job is to offer my five loaves and two fish, to look to heaven, to give thanks, and be willing to be broken. I don't know where you're at today as you listen to this message, where you're at spiritually, what you may be struggling with, what may be standing in front of you that seems like an overwhelming circumstances or maybe a barrier or an obstacle that you're just not sure how you're going to get around. I don't know that I have the answer for you on that either. But see, the thing is, is it's not ours to figure out. The barrier may be standing there in front of you, but your job is to stand, look at God, look to heaven. Here's what I can help you with. Here's what I got to offer. Let him remove the barrier. Let him pave the path. Let him bring about the results and the reward. And we can sit in the grass and watch him work. My prayer for you is that no matter where you're at, whatever you may be facing, whether you're facing something today or something's coming down the pike that's going to be challenging for you, is that you will look to the scriptures for guidance, that you will look there to see what did Jesus do in these situations? What are some of these other like massive pillars of the Bible do in these scenarios? Because, you know, all of those other people, they were just regular people like you and me. And if they can figure out and they can learn the lessons, we can learn from them too. And we can apply those lessons to our lives so that we can have a life that is faith-filled, that is purpose-driven, but that isn't always on our shoulders to have to figure out all that. My dad used to say, when it comes to God, you're on a need to know basis. And a lot of times you don't need to know. You don't need to know how it's going to work out. You don't need to know what the results are going to be. You're not going to know what difference it makes in the world or in the grand scheme of things. But your job your responsibility is just to be obedient with the thing he's given you. And the story was five loaves and two fishes. And my personal story, it's a voice. And I know a little bit about technology so I can produce some things and put it out there for the world. For you, maybe it's learning how to make something or do something or be something. All you got to do is step into that. Do it and let the results be someone else's. As part of this video, you're receiving an ebook from me that's called Renewed Faith. It's 13 different devotionals for you to read, absorb, think through, kind of spend some time with, and look for how that can help deepen your faith. A lot of times what helps us renew it best is when we just choose to give it some focus. When we choose to put a little bit of time and effort into making it better or to growing it, making it deeper, making it wider, that's when we start to see the revival part, the renewal part of our faith. So if you haven't spent any time working on that relationship or reading any of that scripture, well, maybe start with this little ebook. They're short reads packed with some great little information. There's even questions at the end of each devotional that you can write out and answer and kind of journal your thoughts and see if that doesn't begin to nurture and build and, and create 
that little bit of spark that you may be looking for when it comes to your heart and the love that God has for you. So we shared some really great tips in this episode, especially to help revive your spiritual life and your faith. Hopefully you have a couple of takeaways that you can begin applying to your spirit immediately. And if you have more questions about how to make your faith a little deeper, a little wider, maybe you just haven't cracked open the Bible and really studied it much. Maybe it's really hard for you to dig in and study the Bible. I want to challenge you to go take a look at our online shop. It's at christybrowning.com. You can find the online shop linked in our menu at the top of our homepage, or you can check the show notes for a direct link to a new Bible study that we just released on the book of Esther. Now, this is specifically really geared for women. However, we'll let the guys get their copy too, but it's really written for women because the story of Esther is about a woman named, you guessed it, Esther. (laughs) And in this particular Bible study, we really broke this story down not just so that we learn from the story and learn from Esther's example, but we also learn about how this develops, how this builds, how it becomes sort of a cornerstone of our faith. It is powerful. And we actually did this Bible study as a virtual Bible study with a group of ladies uh, as we were putting it all together. And we just had amazing aha moments, revelations, uh, just some, some great stuff that happened in our spirits because of it. So if you get the Bible study book, it is super inexpensive. You will also get a video commentary from me that you can access. And we have a video commentary for every week of that Bible study. So the Bible study goes over the course of six weeks. And for every week, there is a reading plan, um, some questions and, and journaling prompts, if you will, in the book for you to follow along with. And there's a video that goes with every week. That's kind of me giving you some explanation, some sort of behind the scenes look at what's really going on in the scripture we're going to read that week. So go check it out, christybrowning.com or check the show notes here. I would sure love for you to get that in your hands and for it to bless you and your faith and in your spiritual life as it grows.